Welcome in. This is the Thursday deep dive episode on Chit Chat Money. We have the second show in this new format. Last week we had Chris from Growth to Value back on the show and he talked Fiverr. So if you haven't heard that one, go listen to that one. But this week we have Simon Erickson talking at Firm, one of the famous and biggest buy now pay buy now pay later companies out there. Simon is the founder of Seven Investing, a research service that does seven stock picks a month or research reports a month, recommendations slash research reports. Uh, you can use our link in the show notes or code CCM to get $10 off the first month of the service. Uh, you've heard them on the show before. You've heard the analyst team on the show before. We really love working with them. And you can see by listening to the interview that it's a great service. They do great work over there. Um, during this episode, we go over the history of a firm. We go over how their business model works management, financials, important metrics, industry tailwinds, valuation, promising partnerships, basically all the things that you'd want to know before going to research this company further. It was a great interview. Simon knows a firm well, even though he did say he hasn't fully researched the company to the level he would have if it was going to be a recommendation on 7investing, but you can listen to the show and see that if this isn't even the level that a recommendation would be at, that it's still pretty strong and he knows this company, I would argue, as well as anyone out there. Uh, but before we get to the interview, we have to talk about our sponsor for the Thursday show, Quarter. Quarter is the new way of doing company research. Our, the first mission is to enable access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports in a frictionless mobile application. I've downloaded the app, Ryan has downloaded the app, it is a great way to listen to conference calls. You can speed it up to one point at 1.1 times, 1.25 times speed. As you know, the conference calls can get a little bit slow sometimes. You can skip right to the Q&A. They have it all uploaded as fast as possible. And quarter, best of all, is 100% free. Uh, you include companies from 12 markets today. So they're really trying to go around the world. And they're trying to add more by the end of this year. And I think probably over time, as many as they possibly can. They prioritize requested companies, so you can request that easily in the app. And they have a lot more in store for the back half of the year. So make sure to follow them on Twitter at quarter underscore app. That is at capital Q-U-A-R-T-R. So no E, it's spelled Q-U-A-R-T-R underscore capital A-P-P. All right, let's get to the interview. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Today we are welcomed by our friend, uh, long, I guess, I don't know what time, how many times has he been on the show now? Five, six times, maybe? Something like that. Yeah. It's Simon Erickson is the founder of 7investing. Uh, I guess let's start there. So how's 7investing been going? Pretty good, Ryan. In fact, I think seven will be the golden number when I come on for the seventh time for your show, right? We should keep track of when that one is. Yes, yes, exactly. We'll have to, we'll have to tally it up. And then when we get the seventh one, it'll have to be some 
extra special show. The, the golden episode, the seventh appearance. Yeah, yeah, it's going well. Yeah, we're having a lot of fun. We, um, we've kind of dedicated our mission to empowering the individual investor at 7investing.com. We, uh, we always take a long-term buy and hold approach. Uh, we're completely transparent with all of our returns for all of our recommendations. And I think that this kind of takes away a lot of the anxiety of, you know, the market kind of thinks, oh, are we in a bubble? Oh, why are Chinese tech stocks selling off? You know, there's all these kind of um, anxieties about what's going on on a week to week or month to month basis. But we've really enjoyed every time we, we make a recommendation, we have the intent of holding it indefinitely. And I think that that's really helped a lot of individuals kind of find great companies, figure out what's right for them, and then put those in their own portfolios and make their own personal decisions. Uh, it's been real rewarding. You know, we're in 94 countries around the world right now. And wow. uh, we just launched a student program, uh, which is more educational. It's 80% off our annual rate for anyone who's in a university or a academic institution. And uh, we've also got some fun personnel announcements to be making here pretty soon next week. So we, we got a lot of exciting news that's keeping us busy at 7investing. All right. Well, stay tuned for that. I do like how you have the variety of different like sectors that you cover with all the analysts. And I like the updates that you have on the companies say like there's some overlap for that. I followed the updates, say if there's earnings reports, news announcements, that's a great addition to the service as well. And this is a perfect time to plug our code CCM if you're signing up for 7investing. Uh, but let's we're, today we're going to be talking about a firm. Uh, so I guess, how did you find a firm? And then how long have you followed it? I think they've been public now for what, roughly six months? Uh, Recent right? IPO, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Ryan, I played follow the leader on a firm. Uh, there are a couple of times that I follow good leadership teams. And when they have publicly traded companies or recent IPOs, it's worth paying attention to. And so for uh, Ukrainian born founder and CEO of a firm, Max Levchin, he's one of those leaders that really is on my radar. Um, chat with him a, a couple of years ago at a financial conference. And of course, he's, he goes back to the PayPal mafia and was the CTO of, of PayPal back when it was founded in 1998. And I think that he brings a skill set that is applicable for what a firm is trying to do. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to set the table a little bit about kind of his background and the history of PayPal and, and why I'm so interested in this. Definitely. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. So Max Levchin, you know, again, CTO of, of PayPal. Uh, back in the days, PayPal was just kind of such an innovative company for transferring money over the internet right? It, it was necessary for e-commerce and for this, you know, internet-based economy we were creating, where if I wanted to send Brett some money, I didn't necessarily have to have your bank routing and account number. I could just say, hey, what's your email address for your PayPal account? And we make it super seamless and super easy to do that. But the problem, as uh, anybody who was experiencing the internet in the late 90s, early 2000s knows, was the massive amount of spam and fraud that was all over the internet. And so PayPal basically came to Max and said, hey, Max, you're CTO, you've got to fix this problem. Uh, right now, it was actually costing PayPal $2,300 an hour in fraudulent activity that was taking place on their site. These are spam bots that are trying to get people to send them money, fraudulent activity, stuff that was not real people reaching out to other real people. And so what Levchin does is he creates um, basically the precursor, what became CAPTCHA, which is kind of now if anyone who knows when you log into a site, you've got to pick out the pictures of the trees or the stoplights to show that you're a real user, right? What is this number? What does this word say? Stuff like that was a great way to detect bots and separate out the real people. But then he also built some algorithms to really identify the abnormal patterns 
inactivities that were taking place of saying, hey, we're flagging this. This looks like this might be spam or this might be fraud. And so the reason all of this is important is that goes from making PayPal a business uh, where fraud was costing them $2,300 an hour right at its start to being the most trusted and safest and secure platform for, for trading money across the internet today, which is now trading, I'm sorry, which is now transacting a trillion dollars a year in payment volume. And you see what he did with, with PayPal. And I think that even today, PayPal is something like a quarter of the, um, of the industry's average for fraud rate. I think it's something like 30 basis points today, which is still a quarter of the industry average when you look at it out there. And so the reason I bring all of this up is I've followed Levchin uh, to a firm, which is now a publicly traded company, which is at the forefront of this trend, a second trend that Levchin's been at the, uh, the forefront of here. If PayPal was at the beginnings of the digital economy and trading money over the internet, now a firm is kind of at the beginning of this trend of buy now and pay later. You've heard these installment payments, you've heard of kind of an alternative to credit cards out there. I think that his ability to spot the outliers and sort out the bad loans and the people that shouldn't be financing or paying in installments is going to be a huge technical advantage for a firm. And we could talk about that later, but I think that, you know, kind of the, the framework that I've used of why this is interesting is we've, we see a trend developing, we've got a great leadership team in place, and I think that's going to form some competitive advantages for a firm going forward. All right. And do you want to go maybe in an overview of how the business works, go through maybe how buy now, pay later works. And um, don't worry about missing it. If, if there's anything that we're still wondering about, we have some follow-ups on that as well. Sure. Yeah. So you buy something online, say you want to go out and you want to buy a Peloton bike. And at the very end, you go to the checkout screen and it says, okay, how do you want to pay for this? Uh, the traditional options are always there. You can pay using your credit card. You can pay using your PayPal account. But now we're starting to see a, a third option emerge, right? This buy now, pay later. You'll even see Peloton is partnered with the firm that you can actually say, okay, I want to pay this off over a period of, of three months or six months or 12 months or 36 months, depending on what a firm thinks that you are eligible to qualify for. And so right up front, they're going to disclose to you exactly how much you'll be paying in interest. There's no hidden fees. Uh, there's no late payment fees. It's deducting it directly from your, your account balance that you have for your bank account. Um, and it's kind of just this new transparent way of people saying, okay, I want to break this up and pay for larger purchases over time. And this is incredibly interesting because the industry that we're in today, credit card companies every year are making $120 billion off of just the fees for interest. And then on top of that, they've kind of created another $15 billion industry that's off of the fees that consumers were not expecting. Late payment fees, you know, non-conforming fees, things that you didn't expect that you were going to have to pay over time. And so what a firm has done is it has bypassed uh, the, the typical way of kind of doing consumer credit checks and FICO scores and a lot of the other ways that banks have learned about consumers to lend them money or credit card companies have learned about consumers to give them credit cards and say, hey, we're gonna look at some alternative data points to say, first of all, are you, are you someone that we think is gonna pay back these installments over time? 
And if you qualify, there's an app that you can use, you know, Affirm has got an app that you can use for, for making purchases that align directly with certain merchants, like we talked about with Peloton, or you could just go on and say, hey, you know, where else could I buy things and do this in installments? So it's really interesting. It's, it's opening up a whole lot of more retail transactions uh, to a buyer group that doesn't want to pay all at once at the very upfront stages. Now, why would a business want to use them? Because I think the big concern that people have up front is that, you know, a business, why would they want to not get all their money right up, right up, right up front? What value does a firm, uh, you know, have for the merchants? That's a great question. And just to kind of clarify, a firm is making money from, from kind of two sides of a network here. Uh, in addition to charging interest rates to the consumers who are making those installments and paying them out over time, right? A firm is getting a, a chunk from each one of those. As you mentioned, Brett, they're also charging the merchants who are selling those items. It's typically a 30 cent per transaction plus three to 6% of the total value uh, that is being sold. So you think about something like a, like a, like a, like a treadmill, like a Peloton bike, uh, an airplane fee, uh, a, a car, you know, anything that's a large purchase, you, the merchant is giving up a good portion of that just to affirm in exchange for having these installment plans. But the value proposition for them is they're getting more orders and they're getting an ecosystem of buyers that otherwise wouldn't be able to pay for it or didn't have a credit card to pay for it. They've disclosed that they believe that their annual order volumes for merchants is up 85% just by offering the Affirm as an option at the checkout. They're reporting a 20% increase in repeat purchases of consumers who are buying from those merchants over time and a decrease in the checkout time of 30% by having a firm as a simple solution. So it's consumer convenience more than anything that they say, hey, I'm, I'm set up with a firm. I want to use my firm installment plan to pay for something. And then what else can, can this open the doors for me to buy over time? So greater retail transaction frequency for the vendors. So we're fairly familiar with Afterpay. It's something that we've looked at before, but if I'm not mistaken, Afterpay is interest-free. It sounds like a firm is charging interest why is that? Is it just because it's the larger purchases? There's two sides to the network. Uh, if you are doing a 0% APR or interest-free, you're still getting paid by the merchants who are offering that, right? So it's all the relationship driven. Uh, sometimes um, uh, afterpay or a firm will forego the interest in exchange for getting the merchant fees that they're collecting from the people that are selling it. The average APR for the last fiscal year for a firm was 18%. Uh, that goes between 0% and 36% generally, depending on the time frame and the size of the purchase and the profiling that they've done on the consumer that is making the installment plan over time. Right. And that one of the big things that the, the buy now, pay later companies like a firm kind of say some of their secret sauces is they're able to identify who is going to be a quality customer, who is not going to not pay if I'm saying that right, or sorry, who is going to make their payments and who is going to not, and then they'll give, you know, the proper amount of leniency to each one of those, correct? It's really the neat part of all of this is the secret sauce of figuring that out. Exactly like you said, Brad, uh, they say that they're checking more than 80 data points, which includes the typical stuff we've gotten used to, right? The transaction history you have, did you pay off your credit cards in time? Did you pay your mortgage on time? I mean, stuff like that is already being looked at by banks and credit card companies. But they've also taken some interesting alternative points too, like social media. You know, what, what do you claim your job title is on LinkedIn? 
Uh, did you pay back your rent and your utilities in a timely manner? What is the context of this purchase? Are you buying something that's worth $3,000 or something that's worth $30? And then they're using machine learning, not only to predict the ability of a consumer to repay, but also suggest other vendors that might make sense for you if you are if you do have the app, the Affirm app installed on your smartphone. So if you guys are in sports, I know that you guys are both football players, Affirm might know that based on your social media posts or other data points that's collecting and say, hey, hey, Ryan, hey, Brett, I, I see you guys are, are fans of the Seahawks. By the way, I don't know if you are fans of the Seahawks, but I know you're from Washington. Yeah, that's correct. Um, and so I might recommend, you know, vendors that, that has a relationship within that area and say, hey, we figured out you might be interested in stuff like that. So it's kind of a win-win from both sides of that network. Okay. And I have one more clarification. I know Ryan might have another one. Are they still built on the Visa and MasterCard rails? Is that, that's, I think it's something that people get confused about as well. Yes, that is correct. And they even have credit cards that you can use, a plastic credit card that you can use with the firm for anything that would be on the Visa rails and then use the installment plan, but it would still be accepted in the same merchants. Exactly. Okay. Do you have one, Ryan? Or? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, do the, uh, I know some, Part of the big value proposition with Afterpay was that Afterpay.com kind of served as a good lead gen tool. Does a firm have something like that, or is it kind of just a plug-in? I think that's what he's out. saying with the Seahawks type stuff. Oh, okay, it's okay. It, it's also getting more and more integrated. I think that maybe we'll get a chance to talk about partnerships later in the conversation here. But it, a firm is kind of for the merchants. It's not just a payment option. It, it is a lead gen option for them of saying, hey, we can go out and find more consumers for you. That's why Shopify is certainly interested in partnering with the firm right now. Okay, makes sense. Uh, I guess what's the big, uh, What there's a lot of buy now, pay later providers. I remember someone kind of showing me. A, there's a, a few dozen, there's a few dozen at least, yeah. What's the big value provider um, or differentiator between a firm and some of its competitors? Well, the big news was was probably Square buying Afterpay, right? I mean, $29 billion acquisition that just took place. And I think that kind of puts a floor on valuations for any of these companies of, of saying, hey, at any time, an independent company like a firm could go out and get bought up just like Afterpay got bought by Square. It's going to be part of a larger ecosystem, um, whether that's a bank, whether that's a company that's got a tech platform like Square does with Cash App. I mean, there is interest in, in the relationships that these kinds of companies are building. I would say the actual answer to the question, yes, it is a competitive market. Yes, there's a lot of people doing this, but it's kind of synonymous with like, why do you use the bank that you have? You know, why do you, use, why do you have Chase Bank or Bank of America or Wells Fargo or whoever you've been banking with when you know there's other options out there? They're all offering you money uh, up front if you, if you switch your checking account to them. So why do you stay? And I think it's just kind of you've, for the most part, people stay with their bank because they've been with them for so many years. I know I've stayed with my bank because I've just had the relationship with them, uh, pretty decent customer service. I, I feel like I trust them and I've been, for the most part, pretty happy. And I think that this is the same answer for why people want to stick with a firm when there are other buy now, pay later options out there is trust. We've seen that a firm has an NPS score, a net promoter score of 78. That is very high. That's right up there with Tesla and Apple. Um, it it kind of shows that when there's transparency for the consumers and there's an increase in lift in sales for the vendors, it is a relationship that is valued for both parts of the network. And I think that kind of shows why, why a firm is embedded and why it's signing these partnerships out there. 
So yes, definitely competitive market. Definitely there's other options out there, but at the end of the day, you kind of want somebody you can trust and you can count on. I think a firm's proven to be one of those companies. Okay. One more thing we want to talk about is the management and ownership. You mentioned Levchin, uh, or I think I'm getting that right, Levkin, <laughs> Levkin or however, however you pronounce it. Uh, is there anything people should know more about management? And is there anything people should know about the ownership of uh, a firm? Yeah, I think Max is the one that Max Lebchen is the one that, that brought me to to this company. He actually wanted to just be an investor at first. He said, I, I've got plenty of other stuff going on. You know, I'd rather just kind of be one of the funders. I like what you guys are doing. I'm interested in this. But then because of his experience with PayPal and, and he really knew the ins and outs of how to do this and the algorithms and everything else, he actually did take on the CEO role. Uh, I'm less familiar with a lot of the other leadership of the of the of the company including the ownership stakes. I have to double check on that and get back with you guys. But Levchin is more than anything what, what drew me to this. I, I think that he's kind of the guy you want to bet on in this race. Okay, that makes sense. All right, I think we're going to hit a quick ad break and then we got more questions on the back half. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. This episode is brought to you by KPMG. As a business leader, how can you innovate, build trust, and move forward in a digital era? KPMG can help by bringing together the right talent and technologies, generating insights that spark opportunities. To explore their thinking, visit read.kpmg.us slash opportunities. Okay, welcome back in. Uh, second half, we've got a few more, I guess, specific questions uh, to affirm. Uh, and then also, I kind of want to talk about the economics. So what, what do the financials look like? Uh, how much revenue do they generate, or sorry, do they generate profits as a percentage of the revenue right now? Um, kind of margins, margin profile of the business, what does that look like? Yeah, sure. So some important metrics that I think that anyone interested in this business should follow is first of all, the gross merchandise volume that's being sold over a firm's platform. Again, plat a firm is, uh, to be clear, what's going on here is a firm is paying the merchants uh, for the price of whatever it is that they're selling that they partner with, minus the discount that you know they're getting for, for stirring up the sale. And then they're taking on the, the risk with consumers paying them back. So consumers are paying a firm, they're not paying directly to the merchant anymore. They're taking on those loans, they're taking the credit risk for it as well. And so the gross merchandise volume right now, we're, we're kind of looking at about $10 billion on an annual run rate for a firm of, of GMV. And when you consider that e-commerce is now a $600 billion business, I mean, we're talking maybe less than 2% penetration uh, from somebody who developed PayPal, who's doing a trillion dollars of, of uh, total payment volume now as well. And so I think that GMV is something we should keep an eye on. That's one metric that's very important. That grew 83% year over year for a firm. When you take out Peloton, who's got some challenges right now that we can discuss in a minute, uh, it was actually more than 100% if you take out the Peloton percentages of that. They're working with 12,000 different merchants. Those are the people who are selling and offering a firm as an option for payments. And they have more than 5 million consumers who are approved and are purchasing things with a firm's installment plans. 
And the average order value of uh, something purchased on a firm, would, would you guys like to guess what the average value of something purchased is? Mm, I say they have Peloton concentration. So I say it's going to be high. I'd say $300. I could be way off. What do you think? Brian? $300? Yeah. Because of the Peloton, the customer concentration, I think that's going to skew it higher. Well, what do you think, Brian? Higher. I, I would say like 1500 or something like that. Am I way off? So interesting, you guys actually split the difference almost. It was $564. Oh, right. That's high still though. Yep. And that's falling a little bit as they're kind of opening up uh, less expensive items. Like you said, it did was heavily concentrated with Peloton and more expensive stuff for a while. Um, but when you're integrating with Shopify, which is uh, allowing a whole bunch of different items to be sold over their platform of all sorts of industries, uh, they're also working a lot more with kind of travel and flight providers. Expedia is one of those. Uh, plane fares are expensive, but that's kind of right around that $600 price point. Uh, it's interesting to see how that's going to trend over time as well. And then the other question I have for you guys is, are you actually Seattle Seahawks fans? Was I completely off base with that one? No, no, we are. We are. We are. Yes. Yeah. We're not we diehards, but we're pretty serious fans, I guess. You know, watch every game. So Middle of the pack. Middle. Yeah. Yeah. What is the, uh, what's the take rate? for a firm on the GMV? So it all depends on, uh, uh, so it's gonna be between three and 6% of the, of the order size for the merchant. And then the interest rates will be dependent on a lot of different factors, right? How long is the term? Who's borrowing? How much is it? Things like that. Typically between, like I said, a couple percentage points or even up to 30% APR. Okay, and one thing I remember looking at Afterpay is they had tough I believe, if I'm remembering it right, working capital structure where they have a little bit more receivables than payables. If I'm remembering that correctly, does a firm have that same thing? And how much capital, like what are the capital requirements? Is there going to be some money kind of stuck in this business that they have to reserve for loan losses all the time? Yes, that's the right question to ask, Brett. So uh, the company is primarily funded by, by debt. Uh, they actually just had another securitized loan that they had. Keep in mind, this is a business that's taking the risk, right? So they've got them on the balance sheet. Uh, they sometimes are selling those off. They're securitizing for, for other options to other investors that want to take that risk off of their balance sheet. But they're holding $4.2 billion worth of loans, right? So this is, this is separating out a firm from others who might just be the middleman. You know, if you look at something like Upstart or a, or a company that's kind of passing loans on to other people for consumer loans, um, a firm is holding a lot of the risk on their own balance sheet. And that's good because when you've got somebody like Max Lebchin, who's able to minimize the allowance for bad uh, delinquent accounts, you want to leverage his skill set, right? You want to be able to say, okay, we want to take a larger cut of this because we think we're actually making the good loans to the people who are going to pay it back over time. To the question about the capital, 95% uh, of the uh, financing is coming from, from debt, you know, securitized loans and things like this. 5% is coming from equity, uh, which is very low. And I think that it kind of shows that as this gets larger and larger and the balance sheet gets stronger and stronger, you're going to have more options of people that want to loan money to a firm. And of course, that's going to allow them to make more loans out there for these installment plans because they're taking on the risk for it. Uh, another metric that I think is really important too, that just before we jump past this section, is in 2020, just buy now, pay later apps in general. Right, so when you include Afterpay, when you include um, Affirm, when you include all the other people that are doing this, the number of downloads for these types of companies was up 115% year over year. There is definitely demand from consumers for this solution. I don't think it's just a fad that you know is just replacing credit cards. I think that there's a big trend 
that whether this is due to kind of the variable nature of how people are getting paid, uh, the gig economy, there's more consulting now, it's less of just you get a paycheck and you want to pay for something up front, or maybe it's the distrust in banks and credit card companies and people are getting tired of paying those fees that they got hit with over time. Something like a firm with a really high NPS score that is in the middle of a trend that's developing, uh, I think it's in the right place at the right time, at least in my appreciation for what's going on out there. Yeah, that weighing the tailwind, like you can see it there, but weighing, it seems like the value, or sorry, the incentives among the three kind of stakeholders in the business, the merchant, a firm, and uh, the customer is better than what it is with the credit card company. But that's true. We do need to prove that out over time. And it seems like, I mean, it is growing rapidly, but let's hit the next section here, which is basics on the valuation. So are there any kind of multiple metrics that you're looking at, like sales ratio, gross profit, or are you looking at PE or cash flow? Um, and why, you know, looking at it, what do you think kind of maybe it, you, what kind of growth you maybe need to see for it to be a good investment going forward? Still too early for me on this one, Brett, to really make a meaningful decision, right? We just IPO'd a couple of months ago. It is up, uh, it is, the stock is down in the last couple of weeks and months, but it still is above that, that IPO price. I think it was $49. Someone double check me on that, but I feel like it went, it, it IPO'd at $49 a share. Okay. And, and then just to reference, it's at $63.50 now. Um, that's right. Yeah. I'll, I'll check and see what, if it's 49 so $17 billion valuation, of course, I think we've got the floor with the $29 billion valuation for Afterpay. By the way, Afterpay was it was a huge premium that Square paid for that. Um, there was a company that was kind of overvalued, or a lot of people were calling it overvalued to begin with. Uh, but to see kind of this ecosystem and the relationships and, and offering a new way for people to pay for things is of interest for those larger ecosystems like Square. Um, we're seeing a lot of, of other options for buy now, pay later uh, that, are, that are developing. Um, PayPal is developing their own one. Goldman Sachs is really trying to get into more and more consumer financing and is developing kind of relationships with companies out there. Um, it's always in my mind that there's a potential for an acquisition <clears throat> in the future um, for, for a company like this and getting access to Max, I think is a huge benefit too. Uh, what happened when uh, did a firm stock react at all when uh, the Afterpay acquisition went through? Do you remember? Yeah, I think it was up big on the news. Uh, someone double check on the on the day of, but I think it was up what 15, 20%? Just because at least yes, one- that's actually yeah, that's correct. If I'm looking at the chart right now, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. And then I did I did look up it was forty nine dollars was the IPO price. Um but yeah, Ryan, do you have the next yeah question? we got a, I mean we've got a few uh, firm specific questions. Um so first one would be the Peloton customer concentration. Do you see that as a concern or possibly like a benefit that they have that relationship? So Peloton was a proof of concept that this was going to work and people were actually going to use a firm for the installment payments. Uh, it, it definitely showed that it, that it works and people were interested. Uh, Peloton accounted for 25% of the payments, total, total uh, gross merchandise volume last year. And it was 18% this year, right? Peloton had a voluntary recall of their treadmill. If you, anyways, followed the story. Remember, they, they said, hey, we're going to pull this. We think there's some safety concerns. Uh, this wasn't for the bike. As I understood, it was for just the treadmill. But they pulled that, and that cost them a lot of money, and it cost a firm a lot of money they were expecting to get from them this year. And it is customer concentration, but I, I don't know. I mean, Ryan, I don't think it's a long-term worry. I think that it's something you got to 
think about if you're looking at this on a quarter to quarter, year over year basis. But I, I don't. I don't think that they are overly reliant on Peloton. I'm more interested in the partnership they have with Spotify more than anything, to be honest. Yeah. And he said Shopify, Spotify. not Spotify. Excuse me, Shopify. Shopify. Yeah. I was going to say, I was like, Spotify. Oh, we follow that closely. <laughs> we, we should have, uh, do we miss that news? I guess that does more, bring More up. coffee needed for me in the afternoon here, guys. <laughs> yeah, no worries. But that kind of brings up the next question, which is what is, in your opinion, the most promising kind of partnership or new product they have coming down the line? I know you mentioned Shopify, if it's that. Uh, why, why is it that, why is it that partnership? Right. So that's a really good partnership. The one with Shopify that was initiated in July of 2020, um, basically gave, uh, Shopify an 8% stake in a firm in exchange for being the exclusive partner for their Shopify pay installments. Now reminder that Shopify is kind of enabling merchants to compete with Amazon and e-commerce out there. They've got 1.7 million merchants that are already on the platform. And if a firm is the exclusive option for paying in installments, uh, this could be very, very enticing for a firm. That's why they gave up 8% of their shares, which are kind of worth a, a billion dollars kind of in the stake that, that Shopify has in the business right now. But I think this is going to be another one that it's, it's going to generate um, a lot of interest income for a firm from the items that are purchased in installments from Shopify, not to mention giving them kind of a higher price point that they can sell things to people for because you have the option of paying it off over four installments or over 36 months installments or anything like this. So I think Shopify is probably the most interesting one. I, the other ones that I would be really keeping an eye on as an investor is growth in Expedia and Priceline, both of which are partnering with a firm um, for travel bookings. You know, you book a flight, uh, you don't want to pay 600 bucks up front or you can't afford to pay for the flight up front, you can pay it over four installments, 150 bucks a pop, and that's not so bad. A firm's CFO mentioned on the most recent conference call that within just a year, travel has increased from 2% of their gross merchandise volumes to 11%. Wow. As you see kind of the impact of COVID fading in a lot of consumers' minds, people are booking a lot more flights these days. Uh, still kind of some, I think, risk from that. We shouldn't forget that the Delta variant is still out there and COVID hasn't gotten completely out of our minds yet, but it does show that people are definitely booking more airfares these days. And a firm's going to definitely benefit from that as it takes off more in the future. Kind of a follow on to that. And I don't know if you know the answer to this, but is there, does Airbnb offer some of these things? Like, I or are like they still, a, are they a target for like a firm to go after? Dude. It could be, I don't, I don't know the immediate answer. That'd be a, a natural fit though. I mean, certainly hotels, Airbnb, anything like that would be. What about this? Uh, I know I heard that the stock sold off on the news of Apple and Goldman Sachs offering apparently uh, another BNPL provider um, or they're partnering to offer something. Do you see that as a potential threat? It's an interesting one. I mean, obviously, it's, it's specifically for Apple, which is one merchant versus you know 1.7 million merchants on Shopify. But Apple's huge, right? People love Apple stuff. And for Apple to team up with Goldman, is definitely a risk and a threat. Um, Goldman has a division called Marcus that is really interested in doing more and more consumer financing. Right? They've got the enterprise down. They've got the investment side of this down. Their next horizon is to win over the trust of the consumers. And keep in mind, this is hard for Goldman because go, what was Goldman described as? The evil squid that was going to rip your face off or you know, really a yeah. terrible 
image of the company from investors for years. Low NPS score, probably. If they right, right. It was not a real nice comparison where you're a vampire squid that's ripping faces off. But they want to become kind of a more trusted consumer brand. They see that if they partner with, with loved brands with high NPS scores like Apple, maybe they're going to gain some trust from consumers. And so Goldman's trying to do the same thing um, that, that a firm is in this. It's definitely a risk, I think, uh, Ryan, that we should be keeping an eye on. Right. And are they, I guess you may not know this, but it's likely that they're going to do it through Apple Pay, right? Or something like that. Uh, and maybe within Marcus as well. Which I believe is even opening up to things that might be purchased on the Apple on, on the Apple platform, right? right Anything right. that could be paid for. Apple already for their devices has got installment payments that they can just take the risk for because Apple's a large enough company. But what if you're buying apps or buying anything through Apple? You know, it's its own ecosystem that's developed. Something like that would be a much more interesting for Goldman for sure. Right. Okay. Uh, or do you want to do the last one? Yeah. What do you think could go wrong? I guess if if this were to turn out to be a really bad investment, uh, what would have to happen? Well, right now, the biggest concern I would have would be if we see a tick up in bad loans. We have a lot of faith, at least I have a lot of faith that, that Max Levchin has built the algorithms and the alternative data points that he's put together for quantifying uh, each of these loans, that he's making he's going after the right people and offering the right installment plans. So you're going to pay back. If you, if you, if you, if you pay with the firm, you're going to pay back what you owe them over time. You're not going to be a bad delinquent loan. And that was less than, less than 1% of the loans that they made in, in 2020 were delinquent. So they're doing good so far, but with businesses like this, if you tend to try to grow too quickly uh, or you don't have the right controls in place internally, it's real tempting to just grow as as quickly as possible, right? Maybe they could juice it and say, oh, we're going to grow our revenues and GMV 150% this year, 200% this year. And that might get you a higher valuation multiple from Wall Street. But on the other hand, you've got the other side of it. You actually got to operate this business. You got to make sure you're not making bad loans out there and you're, you're still keeping the high quality and keeping the merchants happy too. So I think there's kind of a trade-off between top line GMV growth and quality of the loans that they're making when they're taking on those those risks. And then the other big one would be, can they maintain that NPS score of 78? You want to have trust with consumers in this space, right? You don't want to, you don't want to set You don't want to have five or seven buy now, pay later options on your phone when you're buying something. You want to have one, maybe two. And if you're already set up with a firm and you're happy with them, they even have a way that you can actually earn interest for your balance that you have in a firm. It's a savings account that's FDIC insured now. I mean, stuff like that is just kind of the same ecosystems that are being built out there. I compare it to Coinbase for people that want to buy or sell cryptocurrencies. It's kind of like, are, are you going to be the ecosystem of choice for people who want to trade crypto? You know, that's kind of the synonymous to our, is a firm going to be the payment platform of choice if you want to pay with installments? Right. And is part of the potential thesis for a firm is that they lock in these customers that are like 20 to 30 years old or, or maybe 20 to 40 years old. They may not be paying as much right now. They might just start out with a few hundred bucks, but over time they're going to hit their prime earning years or, you know, start making good money. Um, and that a firm will have those customers for the long haul. Is that part of the thesis or is maybe that just overthinking it? Yep. They say that uh, it's exactly the thesis. They, they disclose kind of in their investor materials that half of their consumers are already millennials or Gen Z, 
Okay. And uh, 81% of those millennials would consider purchasing financial products from a tech company. And then, you know, on top of that, the average annual spend by repeat customers, this is kind of amazing to me, but the, the average annual spend for people that are buying more than one thing with the firm over time is two and a half thousand dollars, you know, $2,200 as opposed to just one purchase of $564. So if you want to pay with installments, this might be the preferred way that you always pay for things. Right, I'm done. Say, say I'm I'm Gen Z. I'm one of the 50% that's Gen Z uh, that's using a firm. I don't want to pay with credit cards anymore. I don't want to pay with my debit card anymore. I don't want to pay with PayPal anymore. I'm just going to start using a firm every time somebody gives me the option to do that. And if that is the case, and this these trends continue, um, I think that a 16 billion dollar market cap is is really too low for a, for a company that has that kind of reputation and adoption with its consumers. And one more question I have. The, so we've seen all the stimulus payments and it seems like the, uh, the kind of the, at least the American consumer is in the best spot financially they've ever been in. Do you see that as a tailwind for them or maybe a potential that they're in the easiest underwriting environment? that they're in and that could change uh, over the next few years. Is that, no, does that make sense at all? It does. Yeah. The positive, I mean, like, yes, definitely COVID was paying out a lot of money that people had as disposable income. The alternative is we just had the highest number of unfilled employment positions in, in the U.S. Uh, in the last like 20 years. I, I forgot the numbers. It was something like the, the number of unfilled jobs that were available for hire was a, the highest it's been in two decades. Um, which means there's a lot of demand for people to get into to jobs and there's a lot of money that's waiting to pay people that they can use for disposable income too. Uh, so the macro picture, I think is still very favorable. We've got to kind of digest COVID Delta variant, you know, our, our merchants going to be selling less because people are uncertain about the economy or their own careers and, and their jobs. But aside from that kind of short term hurdle, I, I think it's pr- probably pretty favorable uh, for the American consumer. Right. It could create some short-term noise, kind of a few variables that aren't going to be there in the long term. Yeah. Including football season. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's right. <laughs> if we can pay, if we can buy football, if we can buy football tickets on buy now, pay later, that could be a huge market opportunity, right? Thank goodness. Yeah. We're, we're, we're really pushing that top line. Just you and me at Seahawks games. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it unless you have any more questions. I got nothing else. Okay. Uh, thanks again to Simon for coming on. Uh, if you guys want to check out Seven Investing, use that code CCM at checkout. Uh, uh, where can where can people find Seven Investing? We'll link it in the show. But um, where's the best way to come in contact with the service? It's seveninvesting.com slash subscribe if you'd like to sign up today. Uh, we do not have a firm as an option yet for installments, but uh, <laughs> we do we do offer the, the the fantastic pricing of $49 a month or $399 for a year. Uh, I think it's when we broke it down across the seven advisors, you're hiring us, I think, for less than five cents an hour uh, to find the most innovative and best stock picks that are out there across a diverse uh, sector of, of every market. So we're, we're pretty excited about what we're doing. And Really appreciate you guys having me on the show too. Perfect. All right. We want to remind our listeners that we are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or a recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital. So clients may have positions and securities discussed on this podcast. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.